Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom's weight management programs are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. This podcast is sponsored by Underdog. Want to make money making picks on MLB games? Then you have to try Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy sports. In Underdog's Pick'em game, you just pick your favorite baseball players and predict whether they will go higher or lower on stats like strikeouts, hits, and more. Pick to two to five players, get all your picks right, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Be sure to sign up with the promo code PITCHERLIST and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100 so you have some bonus cash to start playing with. Again, that's Underdog Fantasy com or Underdog Fantasy in the App Store. Sign up with promo code PitcherList and get your first deposit doubled up to $100. Must be 18 or older, 19 or older in Alabama and Nebraska, 21 or older in Massachusetts and Arizona, and present in a state where Underdog Fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ncpgambling.org. In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In New York, call 1-877-8- Hope and why in Tennessee call 1-800-889-9789. Hello everyone and welcome to the Keep or Cut podcast, a proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. I'm your host today, Pete Ball, not joined as always by Chad Young. Chad is on vacation with his family. Uh, something I was hoping to be doing actually next week, but uh, we have to be going to Maui. So my wife and I made the difficult decision to postpone that trip. Uh, so thoughts are with the people of Maui. But uh, with Chad being on vacation, we get a little bit of a treat here because friend of the show, Matt Heckman, is going to join us today for episode 112. Matt has been on the show before. Actually, he he may have been our last guest because it's been a long time since we have had a guest on Keep or Cut um, Matt does a lot of great work for PitcherList. He's our dynasty manager. He's also the senior, uh, a senior writer over at Fantrax. You can follow him at Heckman underscore Matt one one five. I'll make sure that goes in the show notes though, so you can find that nice and easy. Um, Matt, welcome to Keeper Cut. Welcome back to Keeper Cut. Thanks, Pete. Happy to be back. Uh, big shoes to fill with Chad not being on, but excited to talk some baseball tonight. Yeah, you're telling me, man. Uh, big shoes with you with Chad. Oh my, you're you're filling in for me. I'm trying to fill in for Chad, and that's uh, that is big shoes to fill. Fortunately, you will be much better than I normally am. So, um, Matt joining us today. Matt obviously has a deep prospect background. Um, so we're going to be diving into a lot of his really his work, um, specifically his prospect list that came out recently on Pitcher List. Um, that was Matt. Correct me if I'm wrong. Around the All Star break. Uh, yeah, it comes out the last day of each month. So July 31st was the last edition. Awesome. So uh, look for that update at the end of the month, but we'll link you to the most recent one uh, in the show notes as well. Uh, before we do that, as always, so Matt, if uh, you've listened to any Keeper Cut episodes within the last few months, <laughs> uh, we dedicate our episode number to players who wore that specific number in MLB. And so uh, with it being episode 112, we're looking at the number 12. And the player with uh, the most war in the history of wearing number 12 is Roger Clemens, but he only wore it for one year. 
So we're really looking at either the Roberto Alomar uh, episode, which I'm sure is what Chad's preference would be, or the Jeff Kent episode. Uh, so not sure if you have any stri- strong feelings there, uh, but number 12, actually not as uh, prolific as I would have thought in MLB history. Yeah, I noticed that a lot of people seem to have worn number 12, but it felt like they wore number 12 for a year here or there when I was looking through the list. I think I'd prefer Alomar over Kent if I was picking a preference. Um, so I think I'd side with Chad there. I'd Reading through the list, some names like, I just forget Troy Tulowitzki played for the Yankees. I know it was only in 2019, but I was scrolling through. I forgot I saw him pop up that he wore number 12. Uh, Jose Bautista, I mean, I watch the Phillies constantly, and I think I just black out him on the Phillies in my <laughs> mind. <laughs> uh, some some interesting names as you go down the list. Yeah, for sure. Both Bautista and Edward Encarnasi on dual Red Sox killers yeah. wearing uh, number 12 for some, some period of time. We'll go with Roberto Alomar. That is fine with me. Chad will be happy to hear that. <laughs> um, so let's get into some news and notes. Not a whole lot of news since our last episode. Obviously, MLB news has kind of slowed down since the uh, trade deadline, which we covered extensively in our last two episodes. Um, But we have two major returns. Uh, Clayton Kershaw came back uh, for the Dodgers last week. Uh, It's not something we we talked much about. So uh, quick chat about that. 67 pitches, five innings, three hits, one run, no walks, four strikeouts. Not really sure there's a whole lot to be said there um, about Kershaw other than we're excited he's back. The other one was Chris Sale, which is maybe a little bit more Interesting. Sale was a lot more dominant in this outing than I think uh, Kershaw was, but it was for a shorter period of time. Chris Sale throwing four and two thirds innings pitched, one hit, two earned, zero walks, seven strikeouts. Those two earned really came towards the end there. He gave up a home run, and then Kyle Bearclaw, who's back, by the way, (laughs) um, gave up the inherited runner. So, uh, any thoughts there on the returns of Sale and Kershaw, Matt? I mean, I think they could be big for fantasy teams down the stretch, obviously, too. The bigger names over the past decade. But it's I feel like whenever you roster them, it's will they be healthy for the postseason? Are you going to be able for the fantasy postseason? That is, are you going to be able to rely on them down the stretch? I mean, both of them looked good. I mean, I didn't watch much of Chris Sale's start, but I watched a good amount of Kershaw's. He looked really good, I thought on the mound comfortable one mistake I think to Montero if I'm correct on Colorado but he looked good sale I mean he he felt like one of the most unlucky pitchers before he got hurt so seeing him come back look dominant I they could be huge boosts down the stretch if you were able to keep them yeah no question that's a good point if you were able to stash him I don't think too many people dropped Kershaw I know people dropped sale I rage dropped him in our fan tracks league which (laughs) as it turns out it really wouldn't have mattered either way so uh but somebody might end up with now a free Chris sale to keep which uh is interesting we'll talk about that league towards the end of the show um but yeah I'm with you I with Kurt with sale specifically it's interesting there's been so much buzz about all of Chris Sale's returns over the years, and he's had many yeah. returns. <laughs> this one had like no buzz. Like, I mean, between doing it no flew under the radar. Line. Yeah. 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 It was I rushed too. Yeah. I didn't even know, like, I knew Kershaw was coming back, and I made it a point to kind of tune in and see how he looked. I didn't even know Chris Sale came back until I saw somebody, I think Eric Cross tweeted about him on Twitter, and he said he looked good. And I was like, I didn't even know Chris Sale was back yet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe it, maybe it wasn't rushed considering how good he looked, but uh, yeah. I think there 
or as much of panic mode as they could possibly be, especially today after losing to Detroit. So yeah. elsewhere in the news, um, Alec Manoa has been optioned. It's it's certainly been a brutal season for Alec Manoa. Um, on the year, he has a 5.87 ERA, a 1.74 whip. He has absolutely killed managers that kept him and paid a heavy price to keep him. Um, he had that one great outing when he first came back against Detroit. Six innings, five hits, one earned run, no walks, which is just so weird for him this year. Eight strikeouts. As it turns out, that was more a testament to how bad the Tigers are because it went <laughs> south quick. The walks are ridiculous. Matt, are you holding out any hope for Alec Manoa? Like if you have him for free, which I do in in our Keeper Cut Listener League 2, I added him for free. Um, would you keep him? or consider keeping him, or are you just out completely on Alec Manoa? I don't think you can be out completely. I mean, he was so good, and he's 25 years old. So if if you have the flexibility in your league, I know we're going to dive into our keeper league in a little bit later, but um, if you have the flexibility on that roster, I don't think it's a bad keep. I mean, 2021-2022, he posted a 3.51 FIP. His ERA was 2.6 over that span. So I don't think he'll ever be that pitcher again, but he doesn't need to be that pitcher to be fantasy relevant. If you're talking about value this year, I'm totally out. There's no reason you should be rostering him or holding on to him in shallow keeper leagues this year. But if you have the flexibility to on your roster, I don't see any reason why you can't. I guess just there's always that. We've seen him do it in the major at the major league level already. Like some prospects you hold on to or some guys and you haven't seen them have success at the major league level. He has feels like it could be mental as much as anything. Yeah, no, that's a, a, I'm kind of with you. Like, I'm glad you said that because I feel like most people are probably packing their bags on Alec Manoa and moving on. But I mean, I don't like him. I don't, I don't like, sure. Like, I don't like him. He's not somebody I'm targeting as a buy low, but if you have him, you're not going to sell him for anything. I don't think you have to just cut him if that makes yeah. sense. No, that does it, it, a lot of recent success with, uh, with Alec Manoa for what it's worth. He's not even on my list of potential keepers for that <laughs> league, but I, I do find the price a little interesting considering where he was yeah. going this year. Right. Um, a couple more news items, uh, two more to go here. I, I just, last night was fun for baseball because both Wander Franco and Bobby Wood jr. Two super fun and young players, homer and it got me thinking about the shortstop position um mookie betts who's also apparently a shortstop is like three <laughs> starts away from having eligibility for an espn next year i know it, it's out of control he, it, especially when you consider how much trouble the red sox have had a shortstop this year seeing mookie betts of all people right. play it well has has stung that hurts, um, yeah, that hurts. it does <laughs> but if he can get three more starts he'll have it for espn and i, I know he's gonna have another spot spots because he's at 12 Looking at those three names, you know, can you can you rank those for me for 2024 and for keeper leagues? I'm assuming Mookie's going to be number one for for 2024, but I, maybe I shouldn't assume. And are those the top three shortstop shortstops in baseball going forward? So I guess it depends a little bit on the format. If you're like our head to head league, you can punt a category like steals and be okay. So Mookie Betts only has eight stolen bases on the year. A player like Corey Seager, I don't know how many steals he has, but I'm sure it's not a lot. Pull that up. One stolen base on the year. Those guys are such powerhouses offensively, and they contribute so highly in other categories. They're kind of in another level in and of themselves, if you can pump that steal or if that's how you're built, 
building your team. But Bobby Wood Jr., I don't think he gets enough credit for how good he is and how high his ceiling is. I mean, he's still only 23 years old. Since the All-Star break, 314, 351, 610, seven home runs, seven stolen bases. He's beyond, that's who I would have as my number one. So to answer your question, it's Bobby Witt Jr., that all-around contribution. The Royals, in theory, should get better if they're rebuilding as Witt continues to get into his prime. They should get a little bit better. That should help his run scoring, RBI counting stats. Um, so if we're talking standard 5x5, five five, your typical league, I think I'd go Witt, Betts, and then Franco for 2024. I think that would be my answer. But that is so hard. They're all so good. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it really is an, almost an impossible question to, to, to answer. Um, and I, I think based on what you're saying here, long-term, you like Witt more than, more than Wander? I do a little bit. I think there's more true power in Witt's game, if that makes sense. I mean, a little bit worse ballpark in Kansas City compared to Tampa. But I like Witt's upside a little bit more. I think he's got a little bit more raw speed, a little bit more raw power. And so that would be who I give the edge to. Betts is probably third, just long term, just because those other two are so good. And Seeger kind of falls out of the conversation because it seems like he can't stay healthy consistently, I would say. He is, I mean, when he's on the field, he's arguably the best player in baseball. When he's playing offensively, he's as good as Shohei Otani is at the plate when he's been healthy this year. 186 WRC plus, that's insane. In 73 games, he has 19 home runs. So, I don't know. And did the Phillies fans fix Trey Turner? With their standing ovation, I'll just toss that one out there. <laughs> I, I am not out on Trey Turner at all. I think in, in a lot of leagues, he's not going to be kept just because his price is, is going yeah. to be probably too much. But um, I don't know. I, I still see Trey as at least a third round pick next year. And if people are optimistic about him, I could see him going to the second just because he has that number one overall player upside, or at least he had it. I don't know if he still yeah. has it. Um, but yeah, no, I, I'm glad you brought up Seager as well. I, I I view him as like, if he could stay healthy, I think he'd be doing basically what Freddie Freeman is doing. Um, I I agree. I do think he's, he's that good. So uh, last item here, Jesus Lizardo uh, last night was brutal. Uh, So we're recording on Saturday, August 12th, and this is going to come out on Wednesday. So obviously if big news items have dropped, you're like, Hey, how are you not talking (laughs) about, you know, uh, uh, Christian Arroyo's reemergence of the Red Sox (laughs) and his four home run game. Well, (laughs) it hasn't happened yet. Uh, but Jesus, Jesus Lazardo last night on Friday night, three and a third innings pitch, nine hits, seven earned runs, and just two strikeouts, which, you know, through three and a third, whatever. Um, since July 1st, Jesus Lazardo has a 4.91 ERA, a 4.60 FIP, and a 1.47 whip. Um, his last three starts are really what's ballooning those numbers. So it's a little unfair to set it to July 1st, right? Because it. If that we did this three starts ago, the numbers would look a lot better. But those three starts are against the Yankees. Uh, Texas, who's good, and Detroit, who we've established already for you know, <laughs> 10 minutes in the podcast, is terrible. Uh, and he has no wins since July 9th. So should we be concerned with Jesus, Jesus Lazardo? Like, if you're approaching your, your deadline, are you trading Jesus Lazardo if you're going for it and, and trying to bring in something good? Or are you like, you know what? Jesus Lazardo is a long-term player. I'm going to hold it on to him and hope that he bounces back here down the stretch. 
I guess it depends on if you're going all in or if you're trying to balance the future. If you're okay saying I'm going all in, I'm winning this year, I'm willing to sacrifice next year and beyond, I'm okay trading him more so. I kind of mentioned earlier like how much of a mindset baseball is, and it seems like when teams spiral, they spiral hard. You see it with the Diamondbacks right now. The Marlins are another team that kind of feels like they're spiraling. They got off to that really, really good start. They're struggling, and that kind of impacts everybody on the roster. And Lazardo, who's 25, he's already set a career high in innings pitched. He's at 133. It's possible he's just a little tired. The strikeouts are still there. The control isn't bad. Like you said, one of those starts is against Texas, and I don't really count a blow up against Texas. They're just, they're really good. But the Marlins are fading. Lizardo might be tired. It wouldn't shock me if he struggles a little bit for the rest of the year. But if you're trying to straddle that fence, you want to compete for the next few years, he is not somebody I would be trying to move. I think he's going to be really good for a really long time. But if you can get a top of the line, kind of arm. I think I'm okay with it. Yeah. I mean, I, I somewhat ask selfishly, right? Because in, uh, <laughs> new league, I think it's league 13 that I'm in, I'm in contention. Like I, I'm going to, I'm going to get the last playoff spot, but I have a $6 Jesus Lazardo, And it's like, man, I really want to win this league this year. Like I'm, I'm going for it. $6 and is he, so good. $6 right. is so nice. <laughs> and he might be close to it next year. Cause I have other guys that definitely will get hit in arbitration. So I, that's going to be a cheap Lazardo for a while. So I'll probably just hold on, but tough decisions to be had here. So I'm going to kind of tee some stuff up for Matt folks. Um, Like I said, uh, and we talked about at the beginning of the show, Matt's prospect list gets updated at the end of every month. I was looking at his most recent update. Uh, I believe it was most, yeah, it was definitely his most recent update. Um, And I'm going to, I took out some things that I found interesting players that have actually been going up for auction or cut in a lot of my new leagues recently. Um, and so I just want to kind of get his thoughts. And Matt, we're going to start off with Ethan Salas at uh, number 39. So, I mean, I, you, you can see what I put there in the notes. Like, I, I first of all, having him at number 39, you might actually be the low guy on him compared to some of the other. I was going to say, he's up. To, I've been updating pretty constantly. He's up to 27 right now. I'm seeing. Wow. On my okay. So, so he is, he's good. I mean, uh, so the folks that, that know the show, have been listening for a while, know that, like, when it comes to catchers for me, right, I'm, I'm not interested in prospects uh, and I'm not interested in guys over 30. Like it's a very, very <laughs> tight window. I'm almost like Leonardo DiCaprio there with with my interests in catchers. Um, and on top of that, this guy is not just a prospect. He's not just a catcher. He's like he's like like five years old. So <laughs> convince our listeners that are like me that we should still go out and bid for Ethan Salas. So part of the reason that catchers take so long to develop is because of their defense. And that's oftentimes, even if their bats are really good, we're seeing it with Francisco Alvarez this year, they don't make it to the majors and they don't stick in the major leagues because their defense isn't ready. They're not ready to handle a major league staff. Well, even before Ethan Salas came over, scouts were raving about his defense. He was 16 when he signed with the Padres, when he finally came over and they were already saying his defense could almost be major league ready at 16 years old. Every report I've read, I've watched I've only seen him actually play once. I've watched some of his highlights, but everything I've read, everything I've heard from really respected people around baseball have said, 
Ethan Salas's glove is going to play. Like he is a very good defender and you don't usually see teams push their catching prospects for that reason. Even if they're performing well in the lower levels of the minor leagues, they don't want to push them up higher because they need to learn how to catch, how to frame, which could eventually disappear with the uh, automated strike zone if that does happen. But Salas is really, really mature in that area. And so even outside of his offensive numbers, which, I mean, he's already in high A at 17 years old. His defense is ready. Like, not ready yet, but he's 17. But he's going to be ready, as in his defense is not going to keep him in the minor leagues for long. No, it's an interesting point, and it's it's something that's so critical to think about for catchers, right? Because we already expect limited play time from our catchers, right? Um, unless they're, you know, a guy like maybe Melendez or Varsho, who they got the eligibility, but they're playing elsewhere in the diamond. So making sure their defense is there so they get that play time. I mean, you brought up Alvarez, right? I don't know how much of that really cost him at the beginning of the season where he wasn't getting the play time because DH wasn't going to be open to him. He needed to get those starts at catcher, and he just, he just wasn't going to take those starts. Um, obviously he's, he's kind of blossomed since a little bit of up and down, but, um, okay. I can, I can be in on that. I'm, I'm going to be curious to hear Chad's thoughts because Chad is sort of like me, like avoids prospects and, and this kid's so far away, but in the keeper cut Otney league, Chad bid for him and actually bid $2 and got him. So, um, I don't know if that was a posturing move to try and flip <laughs> him in a trade, but Chad young is rostering a 17 year old. I did not think I would see the day. I mean, the other thing is San Diego, there's nobody in that system that's ahead of him in terms of is ready to go. They're already showing they're aggressive in pushing him up. And sometimes you see that with generational prospects. A team realizes, okay, this kid could be the real deal. There's no reason to let him sit in the minors. I mean, I, I think only four other 17-year-olds have ever played in high A. And he's... That's so rare, and the other four I don't think have worked out. I forget the names. I saw it in Discord, but somebody posted a screenshot from a tweet, and it was four other names, and unfortunately none of the other four really worked out. But generational prospects move fast, and so I don't think his age is something to hone in on too much. I think we could see him by 2025, even though he'll only be 19 at that time. Well, and that's certainly not unprecedented, right? I mean, Juan Soto yeah. was like, you know, six years old when he debuted. So, you know, <laughs> definitely, definitely not unprecedented, even in this era. Um, all right, Ethan Salas, maybe I'll, maybe I'll start to come around. Um, the next three names are the three biggest names from the most recent um, draft. Dylan Cruz, Paul Skeens, and Wyatt Langford. Now you had them ranked 10th, 12th, and 27th respectively. And you can obviously let us know if that has updated these guys have been up for auction all over the place in my Ot new leagues. I'm in four Ot new leagues, but I really only manage three teams. They're all, I, I think the last league for them to go, they're up for auction right now and they're rostered in all my other ones. So give us a quick rundown here. Thoughts on these three guys and, and how much would you feel comfortable bidding for players this far away? If are they that far away? I, I don't know. I, See, it's so hard with them because I want to be in, but their values seem really, really high. Cruz and Langford are the two I'd be most in on. Um, they did go up for auction in one of my, I'm in two odd new leagues. They, Cruz and Langford went up for auction in the other one. The second one, it's not super active on the prospect front, which, and 
I'm in first in that one right now. I have a pretty sizable lead. And so adding prospects isn't necessarily something I am actively looking to do at this point. That can be a different strategy for another team. Um, the other Atnu League, I put in an auction of a vet bid of $2 on each of them. I don't like going more than $2 on prospects in auction because you pick them up mid-season. They deal with inflation at the end that bumps them to three. Any ARB they get, I don't expect either one of them to contribute next year. Both of their bats are really, really good. Cruz is my favorite, but Langford has been killing it in high A since joining Texas. He's walking a lot. He's hitting for power. He's showing off the speed. I think both could be ready by 2025, but I don't see them contributing in 2024. So then that's another dollar on top of that. We're up to $4 plus any arbitration they get. And that's just something I'm not super comfortable. If they come up mid-year 2025, do they really contribute? Maybe, but then that's $2 added on. And then at that point, you're looking at a $7 player and they may or may not be worth it at that point. And prospects kind of Otten is so unique that prospects pop up all the time that were under the radar before the season started and then they kind of come around and you need to make those quick decisions on prospects because you don't have a super, super deep roster, if that makes sense. You're not playing in a deep dynasty league where you're rostering 40 prospects on a team. You're usually only rostering a few and you need to make quick decisions. And if their value is not there, you're not going to wait and sit and watch their price increase. So bidding high on prospects for Atnu isn't something that I typically do unless I'm enamored with the prospect. Yeah, I love it. I, I feel the same way. And and you're right about how they just randomly emerge um, in that League 13 that I was talking about. I've got about I've got like $30 to spend. It's like a $470 roster with with. Um, loans but I, I still had like 30 bucks and it's like oh my god junior camonero is right right free agent um and I, <laughs> but he cost me seven bucks so like he's it's already right. in that so spot. if you believe in that prospect like i get going that high but i don't think we've seen enough from cruz and langford at this point mm. to really i mean their college numbers were incredible the stat cast numbers were very good i have them ranked at 10 and i haven't got to updating my top 20 yet I've kind of, I segment it when I update it. Uh, mm-hmm. Langford's up to 25 from 27 right now. So he is rising, but I don't know if I've seen enough to be willing to go $7 on one of them, which is kind of what it feels like they're going to cost me in an auction, especially mm-hmm. if I already have prospects that I like. I'm confident I can find other prospects and I'm trying to compete this year. Yeah, no, it, it reminds me of, so when I was, uh, this must've been, Last year, two years ago, can't remember. Jack Leiter, when he mm. became, when he got yeah. drafted, it was like, it was draft hype and he went for pretty expensive in our, the bidding. And it's like, what have you been doing with that <laughs> that yeah. player? Because I don't see a debut on the horizon. Maybe you do, but now you're, he's almost definitely been cut on all those teams. Yeah, right. And so that I think I would be more, even though I have um, Paul Skens rated higher than Langford, I'd be more in an new league. I'd, rather have one of the bats crank cruiser langford rather than the pitcher pitchers are just so volatile so i feel like it's kind of hard to roster one and not new where i have to make a snap decision on a prospect yeah no question the the pitching prospects are always tough you you don't see skens being like so unique that he he moves quickly not in pittsburgh system um i just i don't 
maybe it's harsh, but I don't trust Pittsburgh to really develop. That's not harsh at all. <laughs> I don't trust him to develop him instantly. I think he's the te- he's got the talent to still be an ace in that system, even in overcoming that, especially coming out of college. It's not like they took a 18-year-old arm and are going to develop him from there. But I don't trust that he's going to contribute fast enough or have instant success to the point where I'm willing to roster him in an Otten League. Fair enough. Or at least bid that bid more than a dollar. I'd bid a dollar on him if he went up in auction, but he's not somebody that I'm really going after right now. And that, that's a good point. Uh, I don't think it hurts to throw a dollar at these guys because even if it does take two years for them to see the major leagues, you've still got yeah. them at a, a fine really cheap whatever, price, right? Whatever price. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, this next prospect I really wanted to ask you about. Um, he's been a hot topic this year. I am a Red Sox fan, as you know, and that's Roman Anthony. Um, so you had Roman Anthony 79th and I think based on the prospect list I've looked at, you know, I, I look at you, I look at Scott white over at CBS, um, fan tracks everywhere. Uh, and Roman Anthony's like all over the place, right? Even on yeah. MLB pipeline, he, he's just, I don't think people know what to do with him yet. Um, as a Red Sox fan, how excited should I be? And in fantasy leagues, specifically on new, like, is this a guy you're targeting? Anu, yes. Anu is where I would put him the highest. I have him up at 66 right now based on where he is. So he is still rising. Um, Anu, with his on-base skills, the walk rates, the fact that especially a typical standard Anu points league, that is exactly where I'd be targeting him. He walks a lot. He's extremely patient, almost too patient sometimes, which we see with Emmanuel Rodriguez of the Twins. That's an issue that he runs into another prospect. And with Roman Anthony, sometimes he just he's too patient at the plate. And that's why that strikeout number is so high. It doesn't have as much to do with his hit tool. I mean, his swing path is so consistent, high line drive rates, enough raw power to really lift that ball out of the ballpark. Um, credit to Chris Clegg. I mean, Clegg was on him before I think anybody was on Roman Anthony. He was pounding that drum since the moment in first year player drafts last year. But um I would be excited as a Red Sox fan. I am not totally sold on your standard category leagues. He doesn't, his speed isn't something that's going to contribute a whole lot. And there is that strikeout concern. So it's always a little risky, but for Atanu, he has the walks to overcome that. Those on base skills, those three points for a walk, they add up quick. I mean, JP Crawford's having a nice year this year, and he's not exactly somebody you target in a standard league, but his walks are really working so i'd be going after him yes awesome well that's obviously good to hear as a red sox fan i think between you know the the team's approach towards well shifted approach right towards a more youth build here and jaron duran breaking out who we're, we're going to talk yeah. about in a little bit when we when we talk about keepers um and sadan rafaela who's been who's been kind of tearing it up i think it kind of spells the end of alex verdugo's time here in boston um but <laughs> Love to hear it. Love to hear some good stuff about Red Sox prospects. It's been a while, so we're just trying to take it all in. Um, so we, we covered my team. I want to jump to your team here, uh, the Phillies. I was shocked to see Andrew Painter down at number 77, who you had at number two. Was that before the season started? Yeah, I had Painter at two. I had Painter at two even while he was rehabbing. When those reports were good, I think after the – Injury news in spring training, I dropped him to around nine. He was slowly working. Their reports are positive coming out of the Phillies. He was feeling good. He was throwing hard. Um, 
he went back up to two. He seemed like he was nearing a return and then really, really crushed my soul when he went down because I think that he is a such a talented arm, the strikeout ability, the control. I mean, it is rare to see a 19-year-old with that combination. He looked borderline unhittable. I still think when he comes back healthy, he's going to be one of the best arms in minor league baseball, if not him and Ricky Tiedemann. But it's difficult to... He dropped down to 77 after the news came out that he was going to go to Tommy John. Got it. So, I mean, ultimately, that that was going to be my question. Was was it completely injury-related, or is there some other concern? So when we start getting reports that he's feeling good, is he, he's obviously a guy that we should be buying in on. Yeah, I would love to buy back in on him. It's just we're not going to see him until 2025 at the earliest at this point. Mm-hmm. It's not like he got that surgery back in March, April when this injury first popped up. That's a good point. And then we can see him next year. He's going to be out almost all of next year. He might throw some innings in the minor leagues, complex level, some bullpen towards the end of next year. But I, there's no way. And then I don't think we see him start in the major leagues in 2025. And he's going to have an innings cap in 2025 because he's barely going to throw in 2024. So you're not seeing him unleash until 2026, 2027. Mm. So it's it's just hard. There are so many other guys that are going to rise up above him during that span. It's I believe in the talent. I believe he's going to be phenomenal when he returns. He'll still only be 22 in 2025. So that's still a very young and projectable arm. It's just not going to see him for a while. So it's interesting. I mean, maybe we should just kind of treat him then like like Cruz and Langford, those those guys yeah. who just got drafted because they're probably on a similar timeline now. Um, and and obviously, uh, Painter could be a little bit more mature. And it's also just a great name for a pitcher. Yeah. Um, Painter so, paints a corner. That'd be that's that's right. Yeah, it's a great great name for a pitcher. Uh, I do have one question for our listeners. Do you want to make money making picks on MLB games? If you do, please try Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy sports. In Underdog's Pick'em game, you just pick your favorite baseball players and predict whether they will go higher or lower on stats like strikeouts, hits, and more. Pick two to five players, get all your picks right, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Be sure to sign up with the promo code PitcherList, all capital letters, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100, so you have some bonus cash to start playing with. Again, that's Underdog Fantasy Sports, or I'm sorry, UnderdogFantasy.com or Underdog Fantasy in the App Store. Sign up with promo code PitcherList and get your first deposit doubled up to $100. You must be 18 years or older, 19 or older in Alabama and Nebraska, 21 in Massachusetts and Arizona, and present in a state where Underdog Fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ncpgambling.org in Arizona. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in New York. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NEW-YORK in Tennessee. Call 1-800-889-9789. We're going to get right back to some fun questions for Matt about prospects and rookies and all that good stuff right after this quick break. When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat. But Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat, and that's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. 
And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Welcome back, folks. Keeper Cup Podcast, Pete Ball, joined by Matt Heckman of PitcherList of Fantrax. We're talking prospects. We're talking young players. We're moving through Matt's work that I encourage you to click on in the show notes. Um, and Matt, the, these last two are just kind of like open questions. Uh, so let's we'll start with this one. Who's a player or two uh, from your list of 100 that we just need to be talking about right now? Cole Young, Seattle, shortstop. He needs more buzz. I, not enough people are paying attention to him. 20 years old, in high A. They started him in low A this year. He looked solid. He was walking more than he's striking out. He's 19 at that time. To be a 19-year-old, low A, walking more than you're striking out, instant awareness needs to be made. His line drive, his swing path is super small. He pulls the ball a lot, so he's got that pull power that he can tap into, even if he doesn't have the biggest frame. I mean, he's six foot. He's not scrawny. He's not somebody that you can't see developing power. And he pulls the ball. And you're kind of seeing that start to come together now in high A. He's hitting 317, still walking more than he's striking out. His home run rate is up. It's up at 16% home run per fly ball. He just, he is one of my favorite prospects right now in all of minor league baseball. I know some people on Twitter and in the dynasty community are starting to catch on, but he needs to be talked about way more than he is right now. I love it. And and that's a player that potentially could move quickly, right? Seattle is in a, a window now where they're, they're trying to win, right? They're spending money each offseason. They're trading for players like, like Teoscar Hernandez. They're signing guys like Robbie Ray. So this isn't like, you know, he's a prospect with the pirates not to continue to punch down, right? <laughs> this is a guy who could potentially move. And man, you brought it up walking more than striking out. That's no joke. That's an almost 500 plate appearances between a ball and high a this year. Um, so you have now firmly put him on my radar. Uh, and by the way, folks, a 167 WRC plus at high A. I mean, that's that's ridiculous. So Cole Young, Seattle, that's the player to look for. And that leads us into our next final question about prospects and rookies for now until we, we get into our fantasy teams and keeper <laughs> league too. Um, rookie of the year, American League. Rookie of the year, National League. Who is going to win those awards in 2024? I am going to go with a big bounce back out of Kyle Manzardo, which you'll like to hear. We'll get into that. Later, I think Kyle Manzardo for the AL. They opened up that first base spot in Cleveland for him. They traded Savali. I felt that was a great trade for Cleveland, a good buy low on somebody who needed a change of scenery. Manzardo hasn't had, wasn't having the best season before he got hurt. He's been dealing with a lot of off the field issues. His underlying metrics all looked very, very, very strong. His swing strike rate strike rate is very low his sweet spot percentage is excellent his barrel rate strong exit velocity strong he looks he looks like he could be how Vinny Pasquantino was last year I still am a firm believer in that talent I think he takes it home for the AL yeah uh this episode is just gonna be music to to Chad's ears here uh between you know it being the uh the Alomar episode and, and now Manzardo um, it's actually funny. This will be able to move on to nationally quickly because I was going to pick the same exact player. 
um, Kyle Manzardo. So um, it's just, it's the playtime thing, right? I mean, like it's now wide open and if he hits, he's going to be hitting either right in front or right behind Jose Ramirez. There's not a lot of better places to play um, than in that spot. So I'm definitely with you on Manzardo. I love the idea of a bounce back. What about the national league? Who are we looking at there? I am going to go with Jordan Lawler in the national league. I think if anybody's been keeping up with the stash list over a pitcher list, I think he is up this season. I think, well, I guess it depends on if Arizona really falls out of it. They're still in the hunt this year for the National League wild card. They, if they're trying to compete and if they're serious about competing, Lawler gives them an instant upgrade offensively, either for Perdomo at shortstop, over they just sent down Emmanuel Rivera. So I guess Evan Longoria would be stepping in probably there at third base. They can shift Perdomo. Lawler has been incredible. He's my number one prospect in that top 100 list. I've been raving about him. I wrote about why he's my number one prospect in the original prospect list that went up, I believe, at the end of May at this point. Um, He got off to a slow start. A lot of that was BABIP-induced. He was pretty unlucky, but he was running a high strikeout rate. He's really turned his season around right now. He's up to 15 home runs. He's got the average all the way back up to 261, 33 steals. He's striking out less. He's walking more. I think he's a complete package. And so I think he comes up. I think Arizona is even better next year. Another year of development for their young players. And I think he takes home that award. Love it. Yeah, no, when I was looking at your list, I was like, all right, man, Jordan Lawler, number one. Like, I, I see I see it, but wasn't he off to a terrible start, right? Because I'm, I'm not caught up with, with prospects, obviously, like you or even like your average fantasy player. But um, I looked up his numbers. I was like, oh, my God, like, bad start. What? No, his, his numbers look look perfectly fine. Um, so quick question for you, then. If Lawler doesn't get promoted before the end of the season, which certainly it doesn't look like that's going to happen. Maybe it does. I don't know. Um, and it, it, we go into spring training with this, like, Maybe he wins the job. Probably won't. Probably be up in you know June or whatever. Are what? Are, what would you bid for him? Because maybe he's going to be caught in a few leagues. If, if there are expensive Jordan Lawlers, which I bet there are, you know, seven, eight dollar Jordan Lawlers, and there's not cleared. If he's starting or not, I could see him getting cut. What? How far would you go to get him on your roster? I'd be fine bidding up to. I he's definitely going to be up next year. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I think. I mean, based on my prediction that he wins National League Rookie of the Year, I think he contributes instantly. I would be willing to bid probably five, six, six, seven dollars on Lawler for next year. I think his speed, his power. I mean, he's walking double digits, ten point four percent since the start of June. His strikeout rates under twenty, three hundred seven, four hundred five forty three. Since the start of June, his swing path can sustain high BABIPs. He's got the power. He's going to be in a good lineup. I I think he's worth going after. No doubt. And if folks are looking for a, a comparison, maybe look and see what like Jordan Walker or Anthony Volpe went for um, in your auctions. If they were up, I'm sure a lot of these players were kept. But hey, like you said, these, these prospects can just appear because their year-to-year price just gets to be a little bit too much. I didn't go with Jordan Lawler, fortunately, so I'm glad we're, we're, we're not. I would have looked like a total fraud if I was like, oh, I also had Jordan Lawler. Um, I went with Pete Crow Armstrong, um, mostly because he's already up at AAA. Um, he seems to have gained a lot of steam, um, particularly this year. Uh, he is in the Cubs system, by, system, by the way, folks, is an outfielder. Uh, he recently got promoted to AAA, and I, the strikeout rate is definitely not great. 
Um, you know, he was posting 24% at double A. That was 24% at high A last year. And it's a 25% so far through just 44 plate appearances. But you look at the WRC plus at, at, at double A was 134. He got the promotion and through those 44 plate appearances, he's up at 128. And I just think, you know, sort of like with Manzardo, this is where my mind goes for potential rookie of the year, an opportunity thing. Right. And Bellinger's on a one year contract. I know they're going to try to bring him back, but I think regardless, the Cubs are going to have some openings and, and Pete Crow Armstrong is going to get a shot sooner rather than later to, to contribute in Chicago. I love PCA. I have him top 15 in my rankings, too. I've been a big PCA advocate. I think that power is incredible. He's got a lot of speed. The only reason I didn't pick him is and to counter your point, I think they do have other prospects that are going to factor into that equation. I mean, Ian Happ will come back. Morel, does he just continue to DH? Probably he's not a very good fielder. Uh, Suzuki, is, are they just done with him? Or is he going to, I mean, he's starting again. I still think there's potential in that bat. They have Owen Casey, who's another fast rising prospect for those of you who haven't heard about him check him out he's definitely going to be in my top 100 next update he is rising really really fast um alexander canario who was hurt for most of the beginning of this year he made it to triple a last year i just worry about if they don't start him up if they service time manipulate him if he doesn't get consistent at bats to start that's my only concern because his talent is off the charts Looks like another another player the Mets, if I recall correctly, might regret yeah. passing up on, but uh, but we'll see. All right, so uh, we've made our Rookie of the Year picks for next year. We've gone through a lot of Matt's list here. We're going to start shifting gears, and we're going to talk about Keeper Cut Listener League number two, which obviously some of you listening are in. Just some background. This is a head-to-head categories league. Nobody asked. I'll say it anyway. I won it last year, so there's that. I just want that out in the open because when we start talking about my team, people are going to be like, what happened? Because this team has been a disaster this year. But it's never too early to start thinking about your keeper options. I would say mine have like drastically changed in just a few weeks um, based on the performances of guys like Brian Bayo, who since the All-Star break has been terrible. Um, all of a sudden, Andres Munoz is a closer, and that might change things a little yeah, bit for me. Big. Yeah, Yeah, so, so things are moving a little bit for me. Um, and so <laughs> I, I wanted to kind of just go back and forth here, Matt. We each kind of – you can keep up to nine players in this league, folks, um, and their value is one round higher than whatever they cost last year, or if they went undrafted and you added them in free agency, they're free to keep. We also have a minor league system, which uh, we can talk about a little bit towards the end, since that's obviously Matt's forte. Um, but Matt, why don't you kick us off? Who's one guy on your roster that you think is either you're for sure keeping or thinking about keeping? For sure, no doubt about it, Spencer Strider. I, My team, for context, I am second, I believe, in the league. I've been very aggressive over the past couple of months trying to upgrade my team. Spencer Strider was somebody who was picked up in free agency last year, kept as a 27th round pick and I decided I really needed to upgrade my pitching and I went at there weren't any rentals left or the league kind of really got dried out early this year it felt like way before a trade deadline the league was very active in making moves trying to get ahead of the game and so I went after Spencer Strider and I traded away Christian Encarnacion and Strone a 17th round pick Brian Wu and a third round pick next year 
for Spencer Strider, a 13th round pick and a 20th round pick. I was okay trading that third round pick because I figured if we were starting this league up, Spencer Strider would be going in at least the third round. I figure he's a borderline first round pick. Helped me upgrade this year. He will only be worth a 26th round pick next year. So he's going to be kept on my team for a long, long time, hopefully. So obvious, real obvious decision for me there. Yeah, that's a that's a slam dunk pick. I think in a lot of my, obviously in most people's keeper leagues that are similar to this, where it's based on round value, Spencer Strider is one of the most valuable players in, in long-term fantasy formats at the moment. Um, he's indestructible. And I don't care that his ERA is around four. I know he's had <laughs> kind of an up and down season. The strikeout numbers speak for themselves. The guy is, I agree with you, a borderline first round pick. And I kind of expect here down the stretch, I, I think he's going to get hot again. And he's going to be going right in that range, if not the uh, the SP1. So for me, I'll start off with a, a guy who I think has become an obvious keep for me, and that's Jaron Duran, um, only because he has last round pick value, which for this league is a 28th round pick. Um, I, it's not a roto league, so I'm less inclined to keep speed guys, but that's not why I'm keeping Duran, right? If he's if he's a 28th round pick, he's free. Um, and, you know, there, there's concerning signs, right? The, the strikeout rate's still not great. It's improved from the last two seasons. And, and I think that has to do with his batting stance change, which I've talked about a couple times in the past on this show, but it's still 25.1%. It's not great. He's not walking as much as he did in the minor leagues and the barrel barrel rate uh, is just 5.7%. So th- it's, it's not like he's all of a sudden like this bona fide, you know, Grady size, more reborn, but healthy situation, but he is appealing the Red Sox are only going to continue to get better. Uh, you heard it here first. And uh, he's leading off for them. He is He's going to be the Red Sox leadoff hitter for the foreseeable future. So last round value, I felt like that was a, a, a pretty solid keep for me. Yeah, I've kind of been rotating my outfield before I made some of the trades I made. And I went to pick up Duran when you, well, you picked him up earlier this year, you dropped him. And then when you picked him up the second time, I had a bid in on him. I guess that my bid was not high enough. I think he's going to be a really, really good keeper i think he's a borderline top 30 fantasy outfielder for in dynasty leagues too i mean he's young he's only 26 he's got really really good speed the hit tool is improving and he's he's never going to be a 25 30 home run guy but if he can hit for average he provides speed and he hits 10 to 15 home runs a year that's a solid fantasy asset and like you said you're keeping him for basically nothing he'd go way higher than that if we're drafting again so that's a really good pick i think yeah just just going for value just going for value so who's uh who's next on your list of probable keepers uh another pitcher zach eflin i drafted eflin in the 19th round i was really really in on eflin this year i saw what he could do in philly but part of it was really just trusting the rays biggest contract in franchise history that they handed out they don't just hand money to anybody as Everybody knows. So if they were handing it to Zach Eflin, they obviously had a plan and it's really, really worked out. He's been excellent when healthy, 3.34 ERA, 12 wins, um, really, really good whip because he doesn't walk hardly anybody. His walks per nine are 1.18. That is phenomenal. So he'd only be worth an 18th rounder next year. And if I can get that value on my rotation i'm going to take it pitching is always really hard i feel like the combined draft so i'm gonna make sure to hold on to him yeah no love the love the eflin pick it's just such like a it feels like a safe situation i know everybody in the Rays is getting hurt so that sounds crazy but like 
he's pitching in a great ballpark for a great organization and they clearly saw something in him. I don't think the Rays are surprised. I think they're just like, yeah, this is, this is what we wanted. Like you said. So, um, love that pick. I'll, I'll give my next guy as, as another Rays pitcher. Um, this was somebody I targeted. I can't remember the exact trade, but I'm sure I gave up an arm and a leg. I don't think this trade, I don't know if this trade was with you, Matt, but I got Tyler glass now. That was, um, was drafted. Yeah, that was you. No, okay. That was me. I think that was that the uh, Mike Trout trade. Oh, it had to have been. Yeah. Yeah, definitely was. Yeah, Pete traded me Mike Trout right before he went on the IL, so that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> and he still agreed to come on the show. So uh, how about that, Matt Hackman, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen? But um, no, I I, uh, I was thrilled. To, I've been targeting Glass now all over the place. If you listen to the show, you know I've said in the past that like to me, Tyler Glass now has just as much upside as any other pitcher in baseball, and and he could easily be the SP1 any given season. Um, I, I feel like he's got a – I'm going to view it as he's got a lot of his injuries behind him now, and now we're going to go <laughs> on a smooth sailing Tyler Glass now. Either way, for a 16th-round pick, which is what he's going to cost me, he is a slam-dunk keeper for me next season. Yeah, I didn't love giving him up, but I, like I said, I'm going for it. I got Mike Trout. I also gave up Manzarda, who we mentioned earlier today in that deal. So I gave up a lot, but that kind of segues me into somebody I'm probably going to keep that I got in that deal also, who is a little bit more under the radar and Emmanuel Class A. Um, Class A came over with Trout in that deal for Glass now Manzardo, and there were other picks involved. But Class A's numbers have come down a little bit, but he is still at 31 saves already, and you can't really put a price tag on that. He's going to cost me an eighth-round pick next year. I think he would go way higher than that in a standard draft, in a startup draft. So even with a little bit of regression in his numbers, I mean, 2.73 RA, 2.6 FIP, like his numbers are still really, really good. He is the for-sure closer on Cleveland who seems like they play a lot of close games. So he is somebody that he's not a hundred percent going to be a keeper, but I am strongly leading that way at this point. Yeah, no, I'm glad you said it too, because I I think we could, if we had time, we could get into a real conversation about the value of keeping closers at a discounted price in your drafts, because it is kind of no matter what, when you're in a keeper league, you're going in with like, all right, these are the holes on my team that I need to address. And if one of them is is saves, you're like already in a hole because you really got to prioritize that because there's only so many saves to be had in all of baseball. And the other people in the league who need saves are going to be targeting them. So if you go into a draft already having that in the bank and at a discount, which I agree, um, Emmanuel Class A in the eighth is still a discount. Um, that just feels good. That just feels good, which is a nice segue to my next pick. But um, I'm going to first take us into a break. We'll be right back to finish the show in just a minute. Welcome back, folks. Matt Hackman and I breaking down our Keeper Cut Listener League to probable keepers. And I'm going to lump two guys together here because there's not much to be said. Andres Munoz is the one I was referring to. He's now the closer in Seattle. He's looked good. He's already got like four saves since Seawald was traded. Um, and, and I think everybody kind of agrees. He's just a dynamic reliever who finally has a closer's opportunity. He's free to keep. I just added him right before the trade deadline. That wasn't some calculated genius move, by the way. I was like, that, that was, was like, a great move. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that was just like, I got to fill up my roster and I need relievers and there's no closers. So let's get Andres Munoz. Um, so he's also a last round pick to keep. I would probably 
I get to choose if I keep multiple players for the last round, like who gets valued where. I think I'd choose Duran to, to be the last round pick and yeah. Munoz to be a 27th round pick. But either way, um, I'll have a tough decision to make because I'm keeping another couple of players who are worth last round picks. And I'm interested to hear your quick thoughts on this one. Shane Boz, who I'm not even really going to say much on, but I have him for a last round pick. Immense upside, former number one prospect. Going to probably maybe keep him. Yeah, I think if he's going to cost you a last round pick, I don't really see any reason not to keep him. He was as Don, he was in that same category as Painter and Tiedemann have been talked about this season. I mean, Boz was cop at the top, and it seems like he's been injured, and so nobody's talking about him. I think that's a really, really good keeper. I would keep him at a lower price. I would keep his value lower than even Munoz. Munoz is, I mean, he is filthy. The fact that you picked him up right for the stroke of genius right there, you should just take credit for it as it is. <laughs> I can't. People, the, if you've listened to the show for a while, you'll see right through that. <laughs> um but no i like i think shane boz is i mean he's costing you nothing and you're potentially draft he would go in a draft he would go much higher than that especially for 2024 when he should be healthy knock on wood i mean it feels like we say that with all raised pitchers it always comes a little asterisk like hopefully they'll stay healthy but there's a good chance they spend at least half the season on the il but this stuff is incredible so I like Shane Basel. I loved him before he kind of got hurt. Nice. So who else you got uh, on your squad that you're thinking about there, Matt? Well, I'll just bang out two closers at the same time. Both Felix Bautista, who I picked up late last season. I kept him as a 25th round pick this previous year because I, yeah, I was really happy to add him. Um, I added him right before the trade deadline for Jorge Lopez got dealt last year. So, um, I forget if I was a genius in that or if I just got lucky and I needed We're going to roll with you, a genius. Way to go. <laughs> um, so he'll be a 24th next year. Feels like an easy keep. And then Adbert Azale, I kind of went after the same strategy this year. Azale was starting to close in Chicago. He has looked dominant. I wrote up about him in a dynasty pitcher performance report on PitcherList um, that went out a couple of weeks ago. But So he was a free agent pickup. He'd probably be worth a 28th round pick because I don't know how many other free agents I'm going to end up keeping, if any. And so I feel like with Class A, with Bautista, and with Azale, I can go into a draft and not have to be set at closer and not have to worry about it at all, really, besides maybe a speculative ad. Yeah, those are that's excellent. You're not going to worry about saves for a very, very long time in this league. Um, so I wouldn't worry about me adding Andres Munoz. You are in a great spot. <laughs> um I'm going to continue the trend of lumping guys together specifically for these two, because they've been hurt. There's not a whole lot to say. Um, I have O'Neill Cruz for a 12th round pick. I I kept him last year for a 13th. So he'll be a 12th next year. I still just believe in the talent. And I think my offense really needs more upside. Like I can't have my best hitter being Jaron Duran or as we'll get to, you know, Ryan Mountcastle. Um, The other one is Hunter Green. I targeted him from Chad. I got Hunter Green for, I I should have looked it up before the show to see all the preparation I did here. Um, (laughs) But I know Justin Turner was part of it. um, And and I can't think, I think it was a pitcher that I gave up. Either way, uh, or maybe it was even, it could have been Aaron Judge. I don't know. I don't want to speculate. I'll look it up while you're talking. Let's see. Um, It was, it was Pete, you traded Pete Alonzo, Justin Turner, and James Paxton for Hunter Green. 
there we go. So it was kind of a haul. Good, good for Chad. Yeah. And, and way to go, co-host. Man, just getting that right on the spot <laughs> there. Better than me. Um, but Hunter Green costs a 25th to keep. Both Green and Cruz have been hurt for a while, but uh, I think they're keeps at those prices. Yeah, I think so too. Cruz's upside is really, really high. He should be bad. You should get to see him a little bit, I think, at the end of this year too. So it's not like he's going to be completely rusty. And Hunter Green... The only issue with those Cincinnati pitchers is pitching in Cincinnati because he can be dominant on the mound when he is on. So, yeah, those both seem like locked-in keepers. You don't even have to really think about it, in my opinion. So who else we got here? We got to be getting close to nine. I know we we went off, started lumping guys together, but we're getting there here. Right. So one, two, three, four. I've done five so far. All right. Um, Hunter Brown, he was a free agent pickup last year. I... Almost included him in the deal for Strider instead of Brian Wu, but I said I wanted to keep Brown because I figured he was going to help me more this season. And as we've already seen, Wu is on the IL. He might not. He might pitch out of the bullpen again. I'm going for it. Hunter Brown will cost me. I kept him as my last round pick last year, so he will cost me a 27th this upcoming year. He's not the best pitcher in baseball, but at a 27th round pick, he's still developing. He's on a very good team. Uh, it should be wins. His strikeout rate is up. The control is good. The ERA is not perfect. It's a 4.23, but his XFIP is 3.28. So I think he might even get better. He, like I said, he's only 24 and at a 27th round pick. We'll just keep adding to my pitching staff because that's the only players that I've mentioned so far. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. You, you have a clear goal in the draft for what you need to target. Yeah. Hitters, hitters, and more hitters. Yeah. <laughs> Um, which makes me feel better that I'm actually keeping some hitters. because I almost had the same strategy. Hunter Brown, uh, both Chad and I love Hunter Brown. We, we talked about him a few weeks ago on our rookie pitcher draft. Um, I took Hunter Brown in like the second round or third round. I'm very excited about him. And I agree. I think in the obviously looking at it now, he's a much better value than Wu. But um, looking at the second half of the season, Hunter Brown taking him over Brian Wu. I think that was a good call. Um I, I I can round mine out now. Um, I've got basically I've already got seven guys kept: uh, Duran, Glasnow, or six: Duran, Glasnow, Munoz, Green, Boz, and O'Neill Cruz. My last definite keeper is only because he's worth a last round pick. But Ryan Mountcastle, it looks like another stroke of genius. It wasn't. It was. This is very much. <laughs> I traded Justin Turner. I need to fill out my roster. Oh look, Ryan Mountcastle's back. And ever since he's come off the IL, he's looked like a god. It's in writing and it's in audio. I'm not a big Ryan Mountcastle guy, but because his last round value is there, I might roll the dice on him. And then I don't know. I have Trevor Story for a 19th, Grayson Rodriguez from you for a 19th, Brian Bayo for a 22nd, Kyle Bradish for a last round pick, and Anthony Volpe for a last round pick. I, I might just, we'll see. I think there's value there, so I'll probably keep nine, but um, that pretty much rounds out my keepers. It's It's not anything amazing yeah i mean i wouldn't i like grayson and volpe still i still think those are two players especially volpe as a last round pick Mm -hmm. i think that would make a lot of sense to keep yeah ryan mountcastle i was kind of telling people on twitter to drop ryan mountcastle it seemed like he was coming back on a short side of a platoon and now all of a sudden he cannot be stopped i mean what are the odds Baltimore trades Mountcastle after this year. That infield is filling up pretty quickly. They have Hessinger sad down there. He's playing first base in AAA. Um, 
maybe Mount Castle gets to go somewhere that doesn't have a wall that's randomly pushed back 30 feet and he right. can just hit home runs out to left field. Uh, that could probably net them something decent. He's not a free agent until 2027. So, yeah, I think I'd be looking to keep him, especially if they traded him. But Volpe, Volpe, I think, would be my choice over the others. And then Grayson would probably be my number two, just because those are two guys I was really, really high on before the season. And I'm not entirely sure one. A couple rough patches. Volpe has also shown flashes of being an elite fantasy player this season. He's gone through hots and colds, ups and downs. But I think I think his future outlook is still pretty bright. So that would that would wrap it up for my team then. If I if I follow that advice, it'd be Jaron Duran, Tyler Glasnow, Andres Munoz, Hunter Green, Shane Boz, O'Neill Cruz, Ryan Mountcastle, Grayson Rodriguez, and Anthony Volpe, which would give me nine keepers and give me basically all of my picks at the beginning of the round. I wouldn't lose a pick until the twelfth for O'Neill Cruz. So Matt, wrap up yours here for us. What are we what are we tentatively looking at? Because we had a long time to make this final decision. Yeah, uh, another pitcher, Tariq Skubal. Um, I drafted him earlier this year. I drafted him in the 23rd round, uh, knew it, knowing he was going to be hurt. I had him and Glass now out for much of the season, and Walker Bueller, who I actually dealt away. Also, I traded Glass now to Pete, traded Bueller. I forget what trade that even was. I made too many trades at a certain point. Um, <laughs> but but Tariq Skubal, he's looked, he looked really, really good last year. He's looked... He had, I think his last start against Boston the other night was pretty rough, if I remember correctly. Um, but he's looked good early on this year. The strikeouts have bounced right back up. The walks have looked even better. His ERA is 4.18 through seven starts, but his FIP is 2.09. It'll cost me a 22nd round next year. Feels like a locked in. So that gives me, if you're keeping track, uh, starter and Strider, starter and Eflin, starter and Brown, starter and Scooble plus my three relievers in Bautista, Azale, and Class A. So that gives me seven. We'll finally get to a hitter now. Um, <laughs> Jordan Westberg, uh, I picked him up as a free agent. I really like his potential. He was a top 30 prospect for me going in. Um, I think he's finally starting to adjust uh, to major league pitching. So I like him. I like I picked him up free agency. I have a couple of other late round keepers. Oh, he might be a twenty eighth round pick. Alzale might move up. He'd have to move up to a twenty fifth round pick. But those are two guys at the end of drafts that I am definitely going to be keeping. So that gives me eight. And then William Contreras is probably going to be my ninth. So in some of the moves I made earlier this year, I started the year with Adley Rutschman and I picked up Yaner Diaz at a certain point. And then I ended up with Will Smith and William Contreras in trades. Um, Contreras has been really good and he was only going, he was only kept at a 28th round pick last year. So he'd cost me a 27th this year. And so production at the catcher position, I feel like that locks up when we're in a two catcher league. So that locks up one of my two catcher spots, which I feel like could be pretty important. Yeah, no doubt. That that caught me in this league this year. I had to make a, a trade during the draft with actually Chad. Um, and I gave up Jose Miranda to get Cal Raleigh, which ended up working out great because yeah, Miranda obviously hasn't perfect. been that great. <laughs> but like it's just it's just one like we we're kind of talking about with with closers, one less thing to worry about when you're like, all right, two catcher league. This could really sneak up on me. If you already got yeah. one going into the draft, um, it helps that much more. So it sounds like you're in a good spot. I feel okay with where I'm at. Um, but we also have this last little caveat to this league, which is our prospect pool, our farm system. Um, 
I'll just read mine. You can give me your quick thoughts. You'll notice there's two players there that we've already talked about. They're both my rookie of the year picks. So there's definitely a little bit of bias <laughs> going there. Um, and then there's my prized possession, which is Gavin Williams. So the way this farm system works is even though Gavin Williams has already debuted, I get a calendar year to promote him um, or I believe I have to reread the rules. I think I have to promote him before the season starts next year, but I'm obviously going to do so, that yeah. because like he's potentially awesome. His last outing was incredible. So my prospects are Gavin Williams, which is great, free to keep. Um, Kyle Manzardo, Pete Crow Armstrong, Termar Johnson, who who seems solid, you can tell me, but far away. Um, and Robert Hassel, who's like lost all prospect. I, yeah. I don't know. Like he's uh, he's going to be a cut for me. I'm going to take the draft pick and 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 pick in the fifth round of the draft pick pool. But um, quick thoughts there, and and let us hear your prospects. Yeah, I mean, I really like Pico Armstrong. I traded you Manzardo, so I obviously liked Manzardo before dealing him away. Uh, Gavin Williams, the fact that you can keep him. I had Taj Bradley in a similar situation this year. Um, He was in my minor league slot. He was part of my shove-to-go all-in, so I cashed him in. Um, But that's a really, really big boost. Free keeper, basically, for next year. So that's huge add to your staff. Robert Hassel, yeah, that's just a cut. He just has not – that power has not come around like many hoped, and he's really just struggled at, since – even in San Diego and then the change of scenery didn't help in Washington. And at this point, he's – especially – we can keep up the five prospects in this league, right? Yeah, five is the number. So I don't feel like in a 12-team, five – only 60 prospects at most are going to be rostered, I don't think. He counts Tamar Johnson. A lot of people really like him. I am, I'm not sold on him. And part of it is a high strikeout rate. And part of it is the high strikeout rate compared with the hit tool is supposed to be one of his carrying tools. He has really good bat speed, which is great. But and Sa- Al- Jose Altuve, Mookie Betts are both smaller guys who have hit for tremendous power in the major leagues. But when you look at a 5'8 guy, it's hard to just bank on that power projection, especially when his ground ball rate is consistently up in the mid-40s, 50% ranges. And so his hit tool isn't carrying him. It's really his walk rate that's been carrying him um, throughout the minor leagues to help post good WRC pluses. I'm not sure. He doesn't have game-breaking speed. The power is suspect to me. The bat speed's really good, but the power, still the game power projection is a little suspect to me. Um, I think in this kind of format, I would almost lean more toward cutting him and grabbing somebody else who's generating a little bit more buzz, whether that's to keep and then trade if you're going all in next year, just that name value. Um, A lot of people love Tamar Johnson. I am one of the lower people on Tamar Johnson interesting yeah no he was definitely the one that was like well Hassel's definitely a cut the other three are definitely keeps what am I going to do with him and I, I think I'm convinced I'm I'm, I'm probably going to cut him and get somebody who's at least a little bit closer like you said yeah. got a little bit more buzz now I know your your farm system isn't quite as quote <laughs> deep but I see one guy there that you wrote quite a bit about in your last prospect list so um tell us about your your farm system here yeah I've traded away some prospects over the past year Part of, like I said, my push to go all in. Part of also just my strategy in this league right now. If I'm contending, I'm fine going in because that stems more so from a trust in my ability to find new prospects to replace other prospects. I guess said I picked up Jordan Westberg this year. I picked up Brian Wu earlier this year before trading him away. 
So there are guys that pop up and I'm okay trading other prospects if it helps me win this year. So the first one I'll start off with just Wilmer Flores. I wrote a write-up on him during the offseason. He's a pitcher, not Wilmer Flores from San Francisco. But Wilmer Flores, the pitcher from the Tigers, he developed, he's working with Tread, I believe, this offseason to develop a changeup. And the early results weren't very good this year. He's still in double A, he's 22 years old. He got off to a really shaky start. The strikeouts weren't there. And we don't have the data on double A pitchers to really be able to see if he's made tweaks, if that changeup just became more comfortable. But he settled in. And he's still a player that I believe in. Um, since May 18th, his strikeout rate is back up. His ERA is 2.74. The walk rate has come down a little bit. So he's a player I believe in, but I'm. we only can draft, I believe, three more prospects. I think we get three prospects rounds in, prospect rounds in this. And so I only, right. have, I only have two. So forfeiting him would be forfeiting him for nothing. So he'll... They'll both both my prospects will be kept even if Wilmer Flores is fading a little bit down my rankings. And then the one I wrote about a lot, Kevin Alcantara from Chicago. He is he's hurt right now, but he's rehabbing at the complex league, working his way back up to high A. He came over to Chicago in the Anthony Rizzo trade. He was one of my three breakout prospect picks for this season. Um, he has been on an absolute tear in high A before he got hurt. He was killing it he was batting 286 five home runs from i guess june 10th i can't pick the exact date. he's been absolutely incredible he's got tremendous raw power he's got really really good raw speed the only issue has been a little bit high of a strikeout rate and a little bit high of a ground ball but the tools are incredible he's 66 188 i have been really impressed with what i've seen from him this season and i'm he was my deeper shot far away from the majors kind of guy that I wanted to take a shot on in this league. I've been happy with the results. And like I said before, it doesn't cost me anything to keep him. I can't replace him with anybody else. And I, he's a top 15 prospect on my list. So he'll obviously be kept for me. Love it. See, this is this is why we have you on, because I don't think that name would have been mentioned on this podcast for at least another <laughs> calendar year um, at, at, at most, or at least I should say. Um, so Awesome. I, I think, honestly, going through this, I feel like we're both in pretty good shape, but obviously time will be the ultimate test of that. Um, that'll do it for us. Matt, I, I appreciate you coming on so much. Is there anything you want to share with the listeners, any work you got coming up that you want to uh, throw out there? Um, now I've got a middle infield dynasty performance report. Been doing those on pitcher list twice a month, doing a middle infield one and a pitcher one. Um, so I'll be coming out this next week. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Heckman underscore Matt one one five. That's where I post all of my articles. I mean, you can find them on pitcher list or on fan tracks, but that's where you can find them. Um, look out for more work from the dynasty team. As the season goes along, we're kind of growing. We're adding, uh, staff writers. We're adding content. I'm really excited for what the future holds over at pitcher list and the dynasty platform over there. Awesome. Love it. So folks, remember, give the show ratings, reviews, all that good stuff. Follow Chad at at Chad Young. You can follow Matt at Heckman underscore Matt 115. Again, I'll put that in the show notes as well. You can follow me at at PP Baseball and obviously follow the show at at Keep or Cut. Thank you again, Matt, and we will see you all next week. 